0: Welcome back to the Active Accounts podcast, a business podcast for the creative industries hosted by myself, Andy Williamson. Firstly, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who listened to the previous episode with Caleb from Hardenbrook. especially those that were kind enough to drop me a line with some feedback, be it constructive criticism or simply to say that you enjoyed the podcast. It genuinely does mean a lot to me. Please do continue to get in touch, whether it's via email or Instagram with any questions or feedback. I really do love to hear from you. Now, with that said, you could argue in recent podcasts that I've focused a little bit more on the form than the function when it comes to the guests I've been speaking to. That's certainly not to belittle the business acumen of the individuals I've spoken to previously, but to date, my guests have by and large been the creative driving forces behind their respective brands. Today is a little different, however, as I sit down to chat with Scott Mazick, Chief Operating Officer or COO of Macon. If you're familiar with Active Accounts, you will likely have heard me mention Macon before as something of an inspiration for this very podcast. Much like myself, Macon seeks to serve the creative community, primarily through visual and audio platforms covering a multitude of topics. If you haven't previously, you should absolutely check them out and thank me later. We cover details as to where you can find them later in the podcast. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please do share with a friend or leave a review. Thank you. Okay, cool. So obviously, as with any podcast, it's always good to have a bit of a, a background um, with regards to the guest for anybody that is unaware of of who you are. What's your career look like to date um, coming up to present day and, and what you find yourself currently doing?
1: Sure. So career-wise, so I, I went to school in the US um, and I... I um, I didn't, I didn't actually couldn't find a job coming out of school. So it was, it was in 2013. The economy was still pretty bad. And I just remember looking for jobs everywhere. So I have an economics degree and I was always kind of meant to go into finance based on how, how I, uh, I guess how I had always imagined things. And so I was fortunate enough to, to get a job at a small investment bank in Paris. And so that's where I, I started out. Um, and investment banking is is pretty grueling work. You know, you'll put in 16-hour shifts and you're you're trying to do a lot of stuff in a very condensed amount of time. So that was my first job and I think that in hindsight it was probably the best first job that you can ask for because it it makes sure that you're you're attentive to detail, that you know how to grind hard and that you're always, you know, on top of things. It's 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 a pretty I would say cutthroat environment, and you need to make sure that you're 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 doing things the right way. So obviously that was a great way of of starting out, and then I knew after that that I wanted to go pursue an MBA. So I applied to a few schools, and and I had done my exchange uh, in Hong Kong at HKUST. So I reapplied there and and ended up doing my MBA in Hong Kong. That's how I ended up in Hong Kong in the first place.
0: Was that doing economics as well?
1: Well, so MBA is mostly. It's, it's finance, my, my specialty was mostly uh, economics and finance, but I did a fair amount of uh, entrepreneurship as well. And in, in that, I did a, a few different internships in VC, uh, private wealth management, uh, and, and that, was, that was good. And then out of school, I ended up working for a small hedge fund for about a year, a bit less than a year. Um, it just it wasn't for me, it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. So I had the opportunity to join Lazada in Hong Kong through my, through my mentor who, who, um, who was running the operations in Hong Kong at that time. So Lazada is Southeast Asia's biggest e-commerce platform. It, It was acquired by Alibaba recently. And so it was, it was, it was kind of a huge change of pace from working in finance and doing pure finance stuff. To being more of a project manager for a a, a large startup within the Southeast Asia e commerce space. So uh, I did that and then they, the Alibaba closed down our office. And so I had to f- kind of figure out what I was going to do next with my life. And I had known Eugene and Alex, the two co founders of Macon, for about two years at that point. And it was, it was kind of meant to be perfect timing. So we ended up. Uh, talking and, and they said, you know, we'd need someone with your expertise to, to help us out on the business side of things. So that's how I became making COO. Oh,
0: cool. So yeah, quite serendipitous. Yeah. Uh,
1: Let's say it fell into my lap more than anything. Um, but, um, it's, yeah. it's one of these things where the dots, you know, and, and that Steve, Job, Steve Jobs quote, the dots only make sense when you look backwards. So as yeah. I kind of look yeah, backwards, yeah. I think, I was fortunate to be where I am.
0: Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So making isn't your first start. Obviously, making isn't the first uh, taste of the start of life then. You had that experience beforehand coming in. So yeah. maybe le- less of a massive culture shock. Well,
1: I think it's different. A lot of the start so I, I did two things a lot. I when I was working partly in VC through some internships and through some other work that I was doing. And when I was mentoring some startups through uh, another organization that I help out with, I think when you're always kind of on the outside looking in, it's certainly different than when you're running it day to day. So I think a lot of your mentality changes when you when you move full time into a startup. Uh, for for anyone who's always worked in a startup, I, th- I think they don't appreciate what it's like to work in a corporate environment, and your your goals and your objectives are just very very different. In terms of how you 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 live them and you work through them on a on a day-to-day basis. And so for me, that was definitely an adjustment in terms of thinking about things differently. And, and you look at things much more from an ownership standpoint. So this is your baby, this is your company, and you want to drive it forward. Um, and so you you have to set the direction, you have to set the goals. But what you also realize is it's easier to see things from the outside, but once you're in it, once you're in the trenches, you're always fighting, uh, every second to try and make sure that things are, are running and smoothly. And you're always trying to put out fires. So I'm sure this is, this is a speech that most people in the startup world will understand or most entrepreneurs will, will, will feel that it's relevant to them. Um, but it's that shift was interesting. The other shift for me was working in a very, I suppose, corporate, um, I guess, straightforward environment versus working within a, the creative space. I think that the, the the breadth of people that you encounter and the types of problems that you encounter are very, very different. And you have to learn to adapt your style uh, as best you can. Uh, and I think that being an outsider is both a a positive and a negative. But over time, I think that has been much more of a positive for me because you're able to gain new values from people that you work with, just like you're able to to share your values with people that you're working with as well. And being able to be that bridge between much more creative facets of the world that we see versus the more, I guess, straightforward, clear-cut business world that we see, that's incredibly valuable. And I think that that's where I've, I've been able to to set up my skill sets and make sure that they're working properly.
0: Absolutely. I completely understand where you're coming from with that. And yeah, I feel as though um, and I had this in my notes, obviously, that we are in some ways kindred spirits <laughs> insofar as we have that um, finance sort of corporate background um, and it's sort of pairing that, um, communicating that with the creative worlds. And it's a really interesting sort of, I'd say, challenge. Um,
1: yeah, I, th- I, th- I, do- I, think, I think actually to that point, it's also you don't have to be a creative to be a creative person. Just like you don't, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around the the terms that are used nowadays. Um, I know plenty of people within this field who are not particularly creative, myself included. um, Versus even in some very corporate fields, I've seen people who come up with amazing ideas all the time. So it's not a. I think the the point is more, especially coming from our backgrounds, it's less about. Where where you think you fit in, but more about what kind of output you can create based off of the the
0: the work ethic and the work that you can create. Absolutely, yeah. And I had an interesting chat with somebody recently where they were saying they'd read or heard like this this notion that almost um, the standard job titles are almost being done away with. Uh, you know, like in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, like it's very difficult to fit. I mean, you you are a COO, and I would like to get onto. What that entails, but ultimately, I imagine you do plenty of things that aren't necessarily what traditionally would be expected of a CEO. Absolutely. And and th- these these job titles are actually becoming quite notional and fluid, um, which is re- and which is a really interesting sort of proposition in itself.
1: I think to that point, um, what's interesting is I remember going into the job. I literally googled like, what does a COO do in a startup? I think COO of a large company. The, the expectations and the roles are very clearly defined. It's really making sure that your operations are optimized, cost cutting, making sure that you're running things smoothly, et cetera. When you're doing it at the startup level, you, you find yourself doing a myriad of things. I mean, for me uh, on a, on a day to day basis, no day looks the same. And it really comes down to what needs to be done. And also, how can I leverage my skills accordingly to make sure that we're, we're running as fluidly as we can.
0: Okay. So quickly before I ask you what, uh, or, or before I ask you to attempt a typical day outline, and I'd like to hear in your words as well, what Macon is.
1: Sure. This is always a hard question to answer. So if I'm going to describe it in a in very bare bone terms. So Macon is, is two things. It's first and foremost a uh, online publication dedicated and created for the creative culture. So what we do is we tell stories through audio, text, photo, and video. And we we try and capture great moments and stories that are not necessarily being talked about in mainstream media or in, in mainstream creative culture. So that ranges from, we, we've done fantastic stories around underground basketball leagues in China. We've had stories about founders in different startups. And, and the, the angle and the goal for us is really to try and tell a compelling story about something that people don't know they should care about, but they should be interested enough to find out about it. That's the first part of the business. The second part of the business is much more of a traditional agency. So we'll, we'll run projects uh, as a creative agency that can be anything from photography to uh, creative design, to brand building, to community building. And I think it, it really depends on what kind of clients you have and what kind of scope is given to you. But that's the beauty of both sides of the business is you never know what you're going to get and it really comes down to what you want to
0: achieve with, with uh, the parameters that you are given. And I imagine the quality of the output that you have making with regards to the platform must be some form of indirect marketing for yourselves in terms of what you're capable of as, a, as an agency business as well. Because I haven't seen too much in the way of direct Marketing for that, um, you know, the agency side.
1: Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. So we're we're, we're looking to ramp that up in 2019. Um, but I think it's it's we we leverage on the quality of the work that our team does. So our sound engineer Elthick, our um, writer Nathan. We have other writers. We have illustrators like Sharice. We have people on our team like Gordon and Alex, and then obviously our, our two co-founders. So there's a staff, a team of staff there that each have their skill set and they all do it extremely well. So that's really important. And as we've discussed before separately, I think that great content is what drives people. And then if you have great content, people will be sold on what you sell them after because they recognize that what you already do is of high quality and of a high caliber. Um, but that that doesn't um, preclude you from doing some marketing. And so when I joined the team, one thing that we needed to do rapidly was to improve our business development strategies. And so it was a lot of building the right decks, being able to tell the right stories, learning to reach out to people. Um, And that's on the very, I guess, uh, micro side things that you can do. But then much more micro is how do we optimize our SEO? How do we figure out who the right partners are? What are things that we can tweak internally in terms of our content to make sure that we're reaching the right audiences? Um, and so you, I think you're absolutely correct in saying that the way the content creates a uh, a prism for your the rest of your work that's extremely important. And I think that because we take the quality of your of our work so seriously, anything from audio to text to photo to video, we need to make sure it's perfect before we put it out there. And that's that's really what's been key to us growing, and I think that's been core to our success uh, since we've, we we were founded.
0: That was really interesting. And there were so many things in there that I'd love to unpick. Sure, go for it. I wish I'd quickly written that list down, of all the things you said. But I think the things that stand out there or I would like to know more about, say, would be what do you feel were the two, one to two most pressing things that you felt needed to change or that you have changed when you came in as COO, whether that's agency side or how you were communicating your value proposition as we've spoken about before?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think... There's a couple of things that I would like to think I was able to help move along a little bit faster in terms of, of where we were lacking. Um, the first part for me that was clearly lacking was a proper business development cycle and um, funnel that we had in place. So a lot of businesses, and and I think if, if any listeners or readers as well were doing a, a uh, business series that will go up live within the next couple of weeks. And I'll, I'll actually touch on this in one of the articles. But one thing that we realize is when you start a creative business, a lot of the times it's word of mouth and you have people who already support you, who are able to support your business from the start. A lot of people don't launch their business without having that one client who can kind of get them through out of the gates before they can add other stuff. So word of mouth is very important. But the problem is eventually that dries up. Or, you know, the cycle of the projects isn't good enough for you. And so you need to be able to be a lot more proactive, make sure that you're marketing yourself correctly as you, as you brought up. And so one thing that I wanted to make sure that we had was proper processes in place as to how to reach out to people, why we reach out to them, what we're selling them. What's our value proposition? And ensure that we're we're doing things the right way and making sure that we're tracking things. And that's been that's been incredibly valuable for, for everyone, including myself, to make sure that we now know exactly what we're selling and why we're selling it. I think that when you work in a field like this, people understand it's 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 very much like a I mean you could compare it to a painting, right? The, you, you, you can see the output, you can see if it's beautiful or not, but the you know what are you actually paying for is it the process of painting it is it the the thought process behind it what is you know is it the canvas or the paint and it was kind of the same thing for us we we were making great art but sometimes it was a little bit complicated to communicate to someone what we were selling in the first place um and so clarifying that was really important for us as a as a first step i think another thing that we've worked on collectively is making sure that our our business is a little bit tighter run in terms of understanding our cost structure cost base and also how we price things and make sure that we're we're hitting the right margins creatives don't necessarily like to look at numbers all the time as an ex-finance person i also don't like to look at numbers all the time
0: no yeah
1: i'm a recovering uh, numbers guy so and a pretty poor one i've
0: noticed that i've noticed that use of the word recovering a couple times yeah (laughs) and, and,
1: and and a pretty poor one at that too but you need to have that on top of things. Um, and so some things I think I was a little bit overzealous and some things we really need to work on and, and I've done what I could in terms of making sure the whole team was aligned on things. But when you're, I think when you're a startup and a lot of your projects are coming through one by one, it's hard to forecast anything. And so rather than try and do that, I realized that what was more important was make sure that we're building the right pipeline in the first place, and then the rest of these things kind of fall into place. And it was the same with understanding margins. If a project comes through, you know that you know what the face value of it is. Let's say it's a you do a photo shoot for twenty thousand dollars, but what's more important is figuring out what comes down to the bottom line. Once you've paid your photographer, once you've paid the staff, once you've paid the models, all these things, and and I think that. We've had a lot of conversations with other creatives who are either trying to start their own business or, or looking to do, uh, something similar. And the concept of a margin is, is completely alien to them. This, this wasn't the case here, but, but I wanted to make sure that we were a little bit, well, uh, not even a little bit, a lot more sharp on, uh, on these notions to make sure that we, we know how our time is valued, how we run our operations and make sure that we know exactly what our bottom line is going to be.
0: So how do you, how do you approach pricing and how have you approached it with making? Are you, it sounds like you're coming from the perspective of basically cost plus. So ensuring that you, you're aware of your, your base costs and then ensuring that a margin is built in as opposed to, I don't know, value based pricing or anything that, I mean, cause I feel like cost plus is quite a good starting point at least, isn't it?
1: So that's that's a very good point and again if you read my my series it it'll, it'll be in there because I discuss all these things we we tend to try and go for value because that's also where we add the most to to a project but it also depends on the nature of the project that you're dealing with so I think we we try and do a lot more value based but it just depends on the nature of the project some projects are better suited for a cost base and some of them are better suited for more of a market base but Anything that has to do with building a brand or building a community, it's very hard to price it, because either there's no roadmap or it really comes down to your expertise and how you value it. And I think for us, I don't, I don't think we're pioneers of the community model, but I think we, we have enough um, business acumen and everything around our, our history that demonstrates that we know how to do this better than other people, and that's why I think that. You, we should and we do charge a premium for some of these services because it's important to to understand what we bring to the table in terms of,
0: of that value add. Would you agree with the notion, this is something that I often say to clients and I, I try to, to a degree, um, do myself, but pricing often does convey value as well, doesn't it?
1: 100%. So... That's that, and that's always the hardest thing. How do you justify your pricing? And, and, and there comes a point where if you price too high and you keep getting no's, you're thinking, well, do I need to lower it or is there something wrong with what I'm selling? But it's, we kind of call it the numbers law or numbers game. At the end of the day, it's if you reach out to a hundred people and only one says yes to your pricing, that's the only person who's going to that's the only person that matters at the end of the day because they'll pay you for the job that you think you can do under the that cost base. But you know, to get to that hundredth customer, it might take you, you know, one month, six months, four years, and not every business has the ability to do that. So it's it's on you to either work your way up or or believe so strongly in what you do and be able to showcase it that your sales pipeline or the way that you sell is able to to translate over to that.
0: Yeah, of course. And I don't think it's a case of can we find a client that's willing to pay these massively overinflated prices? It's can we find the right client that places the same value in the work that we provide that we do
1: exactly. And I think you, I think you nail it. Is we don't. I mean, I, I personally don't look at pricing that way. I think that pricing, especially for some of these services, can almost be very subjective. But we try and make it as as fair and as as comprehensive and as transparent as possible. Obviously we want to charge a fair price for whatever we do. But the bigger thing for us is really that if you're gonna spend time working on something with a client in a perfect world or you're working with a great client who understands you and you understand the client and they're willing to give you the value that they see from your work um in return. The problem is that especially nowadays, because everything is so frictionless, you if it's if it's for example, I always like to use this example. If you want a photographer you can get um, you know, a, a top tier photographer to, to come do something for you, or you can just go on Up Upwork and say, "Hey, I need a photographer for an event, whatever." And the output, for the most part, will be similar. But the thing that you don't realize is that when you buy when you pay for someone who's got a lot more experience,s you get all the professionalism, experience that goes with it. You also get the creative vision that goes with it, and sometimes that one shot that makes a difference. That'll only happen with a photographer who's just a lot more engaged in what you're doing but also competent at their job. So it doesn't come down to how quickly you can press on the shutter or if you know what your ISO settings or f-stops are. That's not that interesting. Anyone can learn that. You go on YouTube and figure it out. The value of the skill that you bring forward is always that expertise and and how you view and value your creative vision. And I always think that that's the hardest thing to sell, but if you have a strong deal pipeline if you have a strong portfolio it's just a lot easier to do it
0: in terms of developing the sales pipeline the funnel process moving beyond the concept of word of mouth which as you said after after so long can dry up what does that look like great question
1: i think it's there's three levels to the to the game if you want to look at it that way and the the best tool for this although i hate this tool is 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 something like linkedin so the way that it works is you have three levels of separation. You have first degree, which is people that you know, second degree, which is people that know you, people that you know through someone else, and then there's third degree, which is people that you know through someone else who knows someone else. Um, and I think that that's extremely relevant because a lot of the business that you do originally is within that first circle, so people that you know directly. Uh, and some some is kind of more second circle where you get introduced to someone else. But that's where you'll you'll make most of your money. That's where you'll get most of your projects to start with. But the tricky part is being able to communicate your value to that third circle, which is always the biggest one as well. So being able to cold call someone, being able to reach out and 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 know who you're going after and why you're going after them and being able to make a compelling sales pitch to them. So as an example... The other day, Nate and I were having lunch and then we came out, we had kind of this crazy idea to contact this brand um, that makes a uh, consumer food. I won't name them because hopefully we can work with them and then I'll I'll bring it up later. But what I ended up doing after is I sent them an email and didn't get an answer. And usually when you send an email, you probably will never get an answer. But that doesn't mean you should quit. Usually I say, keep going until you get a solid no.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: <laughs> I've pushed on people before and, and still managed to get a no, but it still creates an opening for you to, to open a door down the road. Because at least you know that the email that you're using is working.
0: Yeah, I've absolutely had somebody say no, and then after a given period of time, maybe I've tried again, or, or something's happened, and it's actually turned into a yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's exactly the right mentality, I think. And so you know, I, I sent the email, obviously they didn't get back to me. And for some reason, I felt compelled to call them. So they're based out of the UK. I picked up the phone. I called like their, their hotline or whatever. And I was like, I need, I want to talk. It's a small company. It's not a big, big company. So this is, this is a specific example. But I called them and I was like, can I talk to this person? I had figured out who the person was. He was like the CEO of the company. And they're like, oh, uh, let me just check if he's in town. And then I got on the phone and right there I was on the phone with the guy and we had a conversation and I was able to send him my email directly to his inbox and we're able to build a relationship based off of that. It's not always going to work that way, but that's a perfect example of being able to learn to work that third circle. Um, and I like to use LinkedIn a lot to try and find companies that I think are relevant, seeing who I know within the first, second, third tier that might be interesting. Try and figure out a common angle. So maybe common school, uh, common city, uh, maybe common experience and then trying to find their email. I personally use scrapper.io. It's, you can use it for free and you get a 100, um, 100 clicks that you can use. And it doesn't always work. It's not always perfectly accurate, but it's your best guess at getting someone's email. Or at least you'll get the email format and that gives you a chance to actually sending it to them. But these are ways for me that I use constantly to make sure that I'm looking for the right people, able to find the right people, and then contacting the right people. And... Again, it doesn't always work, but this is a great way for you to start connecting to different people and then making sure that you're getting there. And then the thing that you need to do on top of that is make sure that you have presentations ready that are easily shareable so that people understand what you do, what you offer, why you're offering it, and always making sure that everything is personalized. I try not to over-customize these base decks because you want it to be frictionless, something that you can send very quickly but if you do get a response then you should really personalize it make sure that you're you're addressing the problems that the the person or the company that you're dealing with is currently dealing with or you think that they're dealing with and that's also where you can kind of give a sense of what the solution is and how you can provide that solution but generally if you do these two things right it'll optimize your chances of getting more deals and we've seen a lot more deal flow at least interactions with uh with customers than before purely by doing this and so i definitely encourage everyone to either pick up the phone and make sure they're trying the right emails it's quite daunting but
0: it's part of what you need to do uh picking up the phone old school quite a lot of my outreach has even been via like an instagram dm Uh, and that's actually been fairly uh fruitful for me because i think i had a a knee-jerk reaction early doors to be like, no, I refuse to, to use LinkedIn. It's too corporate. I, I, I don't want the corporate world anymore. <laughs> but now I can see that actually LinkedIn is, is more than that. And it's, I feel like it's becoming more and more of a platform that I think I thought that LinkedIn was for older people, basically. And I was quite interested in working with people who I felt almost mirrored me in terms of, say, the startup journey and that. So say, like working with young creatives that just needed a young, passionate finance guy Yeah. Uh, Where would I, where would I find them? I think Instagram, maybe.
1: Yeah. That's, I think, I think, you know, the running joke at LinkedIn is, is you say LinkedIn is the Facebook for unemployed people. And for, for the most part, I I still think it's quite true. It's, it's hard to find people who are in power or, I mean, at least speaking from experience from finance, a lot of the high flyers in finance, they don't use LinkedIn because they don't need LinkedIn because people know who they are. They're able to, to get the right contacts. I think our generation of maybe younger professionals, they've kind of grown up with it because they know that it's a, a means to an end, but eventually it becomes a tool that you use a lot more. Um, but to your point about Instagram, I think Instagram is like maybe second best business tool that you can use, honestly, because content is so easy to digest so even if someone reaches out to you they can check out your profile immediately and start to get a quick picture of what you do or, or who you are which is the double edged sword and, you know, on the one side it's 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 important to you know it's it's great because people get to have an idea of what you do but on the other side it's like does it fit with what they want you to do or does it fit you know their idea of of what's supposed to be the right type of person to do some type of deal with so you you you, you know I, I i wouldn't look at Social media is definitely a professional tool, especially if you use it in that capacity. And so everything that you do on it needs to be extremely professional. So don't mix your personal account with your business account. Make sure that everything is very tidy and 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 consistent. And I think people like consistency because they know that if if it's it's just a matter of perception. If people perceive that you're gonna be consistent, they're gonna feel safer in terms of giving you money to do something. Um and ultimately you're talking about whether it's large or not, it's still people's business and, and hard-earned cash that they have to give out to get something in return that's going to hopefully make them better.
0: Actually what's your opinion on this? I do WhatsApp a lot of my clients, if not all of them, because I do, especially the clients that I become considerably more involved in. So it's not just like a one-off project.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: we, we we WhatsApp and voice message and it does become very familiar um, and it does get wrapped in with the friends. Yeah, what's your opinion? Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I completely agree, and and I think that you have to use the mediums that work best for your clients. We live, we we live in, we work in Asia, and for us, it's like WhatsApp and and uh, WeChat. So we'll have WhatsApp groups, WeChat groups, and you also see people's public profiles, you see what they're sharing. So it becomes a lot more holistic. And I think the experience of being on these apps, while it's still business, it just feels a bit more familiar ultimately. But again, to go back to my other point, it still begs the question. How do you maintain professionalism and make sure that you're doing things right? Because again, if you're using WhatsApp, especially if you're using your personal phone, you might send a message to a group that's supposed to be for work and it's like you thought you were messaging your girlfriend or whatever. And then all of a sudden you got to delete that message after you've realized that you sent it to the wrong place. Hopefully you delete it in time. Um, but it's it, you know, that hasn't happened to me yet, but I know that it's happened to a lot of people before. And so uh, I, I I would stress being able to properly split one thing from another. But to your point, whatever the best medium is for maintaining the relationship, the better. I don't think that there's a right answer for it. I just think that email is very universal versus you know WhatsApp or something else. It just depends on if you have it on, on, on your thing or not. Everyone has email. Not everyone has WhatsApp.
0: I think you mentioned it earlier and it's definitely something I'm personally interested in as we've spoken about it privately. The value proposition. I was just wondering if you could enlighten us as to what you think constitutes a strong value proposition or just some things that are worth considering when putting one together?
1: Yeah, um, that's, that's a easy and hard question to answer. Um, the way I always look at value propositions, there's, there's this great talk and I think most people, including most millennials, have seen it at this point. But if you haven't, or if you're listening you to this talk by this professor called Simon Sinek, he talks about the golden circle. And and how companies that are able to express their why first and foremost, as opposed to the what and how, are the ones that succeed most at at being able to either retain business or gain business. So the classic example that he gives is Apple. He says, why does Apple do things? How do they do it? What do they do? I think if if I paraphrase correctly, I think why is they want to make the most beautiful products in the world how they do that through you know great manufacturing and great design, what they just happen to be selling, you know, phones or, or computers or whatever else versus say a a competitor like a Huawei, for example. It's like, what do we do? We make great phones. How do we do it? Well we just build them out. And then why do we do it? Because, you know, we're just a phone manufacturer. So that's what we do. In answering your question, I think the first part is understanding why you're doing something and your value proposition is really if you know why you're doing it, then people will know why you're approaching them for for that that service that you're offering in the first place. For for us, the way I view this is not the company speaking; this is Scott Masick speaking. But the way I personally view our, our company um, value is, I think that we exist because we want to serve the creative community, and. I, I mean, as I've told you before, I think this is quite broad and quite vague and it doesn't mean anything, but at the same time, it means everything to me because we want to cater to a community of people in every way, shape or form that we can. So the way, the, how we do it right now is through um, different formats and different mediums and, and, and different initiatives. And what we do comes down to writing stories, providing great audio, creating great content, uh, create providing services to our cons- consumers and our, and our, through our agency. That's the what. But why we do it is because we have a, a deep love for, for things that are, I think, challenging and compelling. We, we definitely have something that we care about in terms of aesthetics of how things are done. And because we also really care about that creative community that we cater to and that we're part of ourselves using that example, I think any good founder will tell you why they do something and they should be able to express to you how and, and the how and the what of what they do. And your your value proposition shouldn't be fourteen lines of of buzzwords explaining to you, you know, oh, you know, we're we do this or that or whatever and like we happen to be doing this and that. It it, it can't be a laundry list. It has to be to be something crisp and clear enough that if anyone picks it up, they'll say, Oh, okay, And even if it's vague enough, it's like, oh, I can see how this applies to a whole universe of things. And I know that we've had this conversation before, and and I told you, I think maybe you, you, you you might want to tell the listeners about what your, I guess, original value proposition was versus where you kind of took it. And I think that in my eyes, it was a lot more clear in terms of why you were doing things and what your value add was.
0: In terms of say, just thinking in terms of like practicality, like say landing on someone's website how quickly is that message conveyed oh to, that's to the, to the viewer
1: that's that's so true and i think that i almost spark up at this because i've been on so many companies websites before and i'm i just go through it a lot of these service providers software service providers i go through their site and after clicking on four links i'm like what the hell do you do i still don't understand what the hell you do i see like a product line i see all these things but nothing is clear to me and all i see is buzzwords everywhere and it's just like you don't want to work with someone who can't express that properly and there's so many companies that are just doing that extremely poorly so certainly if you're starting out your business you need to know with crystal clear sharpness exactly what you're doing why you're doing it and what it is that you provide
0: out of curiosity you know the articles that you mentioned that are coming out soon for making what is that series is it a finance series
1: it's a series <laughs> I'll give you, I won't, I won't give away the title away because it's, it's kind of stupid, uh. but, um, it's more, it's more geared towards, uh, helping creatives that are starting out their business or maybe that have an ongoing business, but want to take it to the next level. A couple of tips that we've learned from our learnings, uh, and also things that I've picked up personally. Again, you're taking advice from a, uh, a 28 year old failed banker. So, <laughs> Use it, at, use it at your, use it at your own, uh, at your own risk. But, um, I certainly don't think I'm a, I'm an authority for, for a lot of this stuff. But I also think I've, I've seen enough within that timeline to know what's worked for me, what's worked for us and, and hopefully what can be useful for people as well. And we don't, we really don't mean to come at it from a position of authority. It's more being able to share, um, learnings and teachings that we've, we've received and make sure that these are things that have become obvious to us but may not be obvious to other people and hopefully I can help them uh, perform better.
0: In my opinion I think that's the perfect way to frame it is not that this is the only way you can do it but this is what we've seen, what we've done, what has worked for us, what hasn't worked for us and then I think that's just a bit much but yeah I think that's the best way to frame it as well and that's kind of the stance I try to take.
1: Yeah yeah And, and you're I don't think either of us is apologetic about it I just think we We, we know enough to know that we don't know everything, that we don't have all the answers. And sometimes you kind of get carried away with that mentality when you think that, you know, I've done this enough that I know exactly what's going on. But in fact, you, you might be missing core things. And that's always the case for people who are the biggest experts. They'll, they'll miss the most obvious things because they're, they're so rooted in the process that they're not able to update it anymore. So we, you know, as a company and, and as a person, we take the approach that things can always be better and things that can always be a lot sharper and clearer and that there's always points of views that we're not considering. Um, well, and you know, you should consider them and, and add them in when it's, it's appropriate, but you shouldn't lose your voice, uh, doing it either. So that's, that's also the balance that you have to maintain. You should have your opinion. You should have a, a thought process, but it, it's also, you don't have to, you know, you don't, you don't have to agree with everyone either.
0: Where would be the best place to learn more about Macon? For anybody listening, I'd be very surprised if anybody listening hasn't heard of Macon.
1: Well, you know, hopefully we'll be doing some more of that marketing and, and we'll get it out there to even more people. Um, you can you can learn about Macon on a, on a variety of platforms. The first and foremost is our website. So Macon is M-A-E-K-A-N. Um, a lot of people mispronounce it, mistype it, and that's probably not to our advantage. But now you know how it's spelled. So macon.com will be relaunching our site soon as well. So our site is up already, but we'll have a new version coming out soon, which we've been working on a lot. And we're, we're very excited about with, with new content, new, new initiatives that'll go with it. Uh, so our website's ob- the first obvious place. And, you know, you can fo- find us everywhere else. We'll, we're on Instagram. We have our own Slack community that people can, uh, can join uh it's it's members only, but we like to keep that way because we wanna make sure the, the conversations are, are lively but also um with the right people. And I mean we, we met through the Slack community, so I think you can be a, a judge of if it's useful and powerful or not. That you know I'm I'm grateful to be on this podcast through our, our great Slack community.
0: This podcast was a result of being a member of the Slack community and being able to pester you directly. Sh- shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. And then all our social media. I think the
1: one that we're most um, we're active on all of them. But I think the one we're most active on is definitely Instagram. And we have a great series of podcasts as well that you can find on Anchor or Apple or like Apple Podcasts, and we we have it on Spotify. So anywhere that you can think of, you can find us. But our newsletter is really something that we're incredibly proud of. We put a lot of work into it. And what the newsletter does is we we, we piece out um, different facets of Creative Culture News and also provide some links as to other other things that you could read about um, that might be of interest to you. And really, I think Eugene and the rest of the team do a fantastic job of curating a link list that isn't always about the same stuff. So we're really trying to provide a holistic view of what creative culture looks like. And we're incredibly proud of it. We're we we love doing it. And I think that, you know, certainly if 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 your listeners aren't subscribed to it, it's free. It's, it, you get it twice a week, and it's it's probably your best read that you're gonna get. I mean, you know, even 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 working for the company, it's still something that I just religiously enjoy reading. So it's if you feel like you're not doing enough reading, or you want to be able to to tap into great articles. I highly recommend our newsletter.
0: Yeah, I highly recommend it as well. Um, Yeah, I always enjoy seeing it land in my my inbox. So yeah, Scott, thank you very much again for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. No Um,
1: problem. Thank you for having me.
0: I hope you found today's episode valuable. As I mentioned earlier, it would mean a lot if you could leave a review on iTunes or share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in touch with any questions or feedback, feel free to drop me an email on andy at activeaccounts.co.uk.